Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Great Obsession podcast where we love being obsessed with things. I'm Riley and today I'm drinking a uh, just my classic morning coffee. This is a cold brew with cookie butter creamer in it. Oh, except it's not the morning. It's 5 p.m. and I'm drinking it. I I did think about that. (laughs) I was like, I'll let her maintain her illusion that we are recording in the morning and we're like really timely people because we're not. I like to pretend that to like make myself feel, you know, like I have lots of energy because it's going to take a lot of energy to talk about this book. I would agree. I'm Sam and I am having a hot mocha that I added extra chocolate too it's like the chocolatiest thing i've drank in a while it's excellent yeah hoping that between the sugar and the caffeine it'll get us through recording (laughs) this this episode um because we are talking about a house of flame and shadow by sarah j mass which is a behemoth of a book And if you have been following us, you know that this episode was supposed to come out last week. It didn't because we couldn't get ourselves together. And I had to fight for my life to finish this book. So Mm -hmm. really interested to see how this episode goes. Yeah, this will be... If you've listened to our previous Crescent City episodes, we... It's not our favorite series. Yet we remain obsessed with reading Sarah J. Mass and everything she writes. So it's a strange thing where like two very different feelings exist at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So I think this episode will contain multitudes because it's like I felt like this book had a lot of highs and a lot of lows. That happens a lot with SJM. I don't know. I felt like for this book, personally, the highs were not as high and the lows were particularly low. That's, yeah, that's fair. I guess I'm thinking back to A Court of Silver Flames, which had like really high highs and also really low lows. This one was a little bit um, (laughs) less, less highs, (laughs) for sure. Do we want to do like an initial ranking? Yeah, let's do it. Um, You know what? What did we rate? Akawar. Akawar. Because uh, I'm thinking of this book in terms of conclusions to SJM series. Oh, by the way, listener, we won't be spoiling um, anything in the Throne of Glass series. However, the other series that SJM has written, A Court of Thorns and Roses, there will be spoilers for that in this episode because it is impossible to talk about this book without talking about the Akatar universe, and also, obviously, the Crescent City universe. So, if you have not read up through House of Flame and Shadow and A Court of Silver Flames, um, you should read those before listening to this episode. Yes, you should. Okay, we rated Akawar 6 out of 10. So, okay, in, in that case, I feel confident rating this book a 5 out of 10. Okay, okay. Um... Yeah, actually, I think that feels right. Um, yeah, I think a five out of four, maybe a 4.5 for me, honestly. I think I'm going to okay. go a little bit lower just because I felt like I was in agony <laughs> trying to finish <laughs> this book. I was like, this is how I die. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I have not felt 
that way since reading Crescent City 2. Yeah. And I will say this is like a funny story. We were driving back from Vancouver, Canada, and I was reading this book and we went through customs like back into the United States and I was read I had it like seated on my lap and the like customs agent was like oh is that the third crescent city book and I was like why yes it is and she was like how do you like it I'm like on a court of silver flames right now and I haven't decided if I want to read crescent city or not and I was like honestly I was about halfway at that point And I was Uh like, honestly, at this point, I don't think it's worth it, ma'am. I was like, I don't think you need to read the Crescent City series. And she was like, that's what I've been hearing. And we had this whole discussion. There was like this massive line of cars behind us, like waiting to go into (laughs) customs. And Jack was like, you just kept talking to her. And there were so many people behind us. It was hilarious. (laughs) But shout out to you, customs lady. Really bonded. First of all, hot take. For you to tell someone, like, I don't recommend reading Crescent City at all. Because I I still have mixed feelings. Because just because so many people seem to love this series. I, I don't know if it's just, if it's just, like, our taste specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. I think, I will say, at that point, I was, like, really in the trenches because we were under the gun. We were, like, trying to get the episode out, and I was, like, trying to finish it, and I just, there was, like, nothing I wanted to do less. And so that probably (laughs) clouded my judgment in that moment, but I do think that these, here's the thing. All of the Crescent City books are so large yeah. And there is so much world building and like characters and all this stuff happening that you do have to sort of like work to get through them just because they're so there's just like so big. Mm-hmm. And for the amount of work that I feel like I had to put into this series, I don't feel like the payoff was worth it for me. That's a solid way to put it because like there are aspects of this series that I enjoy but the amount of work you have to put in Mm -hmm. is too much yeah it shouldn't be this hard it shouldn't be this hard and I think that's the thing for me with reading if I like have to really work to get through a book like it should be a book that's like a classic it's a translation from like a different language or a really old Mm -hmm. text or it's got a lot of like heavy imagery theme like motifs like that sort of stuff like that's why it's hard is because there's so much intellectually happening it shouldn't be hard if it's just like an entertainment book not that I don't want to like water down SJM's work into just like entertainment books but you know what I mean there's some books that I go into and I know I'm gonna have to work for it and that's fine Uh This was not a book where I felt like I was going to have to work for it. Yeah. No, what you said actually reminded me. I saw someone online saying that they would not describe SJM as a good writer. They would describe her as a good entertainer. And I thought that was really interesting because I kind of agree for the most part. Like her, her books are not ones that I read because I just love her writing style. Mm-hmm. I read them because I, because I don't I don't know why I just there she puts crack in her books I can't stop reading them mm-hmm. <laughs> even like, if I have not liked several of of them. Here's the thing I think maybe why I like it so much 
is because I always feel she like makes me feel things like there's always like some real emotional impact and the Crescent City books have the least emotional impact on me from all of her series and I think maybe that's why it's not worth it yeah and I think the the reason that there's not a lot of emotional impact in this series for either of us is because she puts a lot more focus on the world building and mm-hmm. like the plot in this series when that's not her strength her strength is characters yeah and i i really feel like the purpose of this series seems to be to create a multiverse mm-hmm. and so she just like got so lost in creating and building this multiverse that like the characters really suffered yeah no I think that's a good point and I think maybe segues us nicely into talking about the characters yes because we had a lot of POVs in this book we did which I will say in other series SJM has done really well with the multi POVs and I've really enjoyed it even when it's like uh, I don't you know it's always like uh no I don't want to be in this character's POV like take me back to the other person and you know that's very Mm -hmm. normal when you have multiple POVs but in previous series I've always felt like I could track the plot Mm -hmm. despite being in multiple POVs and then having multiple storylines I felt like I was always tracking sure This series, particularly with this book, we were in multiple POVs and I was not always tracking what was happening between the different POVs. I was like, wait, what are you supposed to be doing right now? Like what? I don't know. There was like I had a lot of confusion in this book. And I think part of it was because of the the frequency of POV switches. Yeah, well, the frequency of switches and just the fact that some of the POVs were so inconsequential. Like anytime it cut to Ethan or Therian, I was like, what, how is this serving the plot? Mm -hmm. Like the things that they were doing were just so random. Meanwhile, Bryce is like fighting for her life in another dimension. So I want to be reading those POVs or like Hunt is being tortured in a dungeon. Gotta give it to SJM. She writes torture pretty well. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, dang girl. This is intense. It was hard to cut from like Hunt and and Rune and Ther- uh, sorry Baxian. Hunt and Rune and Baxian all being tortured, but like sort of forming this little like brotherhood friendship thing while they're mm-hmm. all suffering together. And then you go from that to like Ethan just doing the most confusing things. Just always, I was always like, lost what- by him. What was his storyline? I actually don't want to start with his storyline. Let's yeah. get into it later. <laughs> let's let's start with Bryce. Yeah, because Bryce was where we picked right up in mm-hmm. this series and where people were most excited for, what I was most excited for because she's in Akatar world. So it's fun because we're seeing characters that we already know and love. What did you think of the way they treated her in that world? Um, like how the inner circle sort of treated her? Yeah, like how the inner circle treated Bryce. I felt like they treated her quite well, uh, honestly. Like, I felt like it aligned with what we had seen from them previously in the Akatar world of her, like, 
you know, they don't know what to do with her, but they're still, you know, they're not, like, torturing her yet. Mm -hmm. And they sort of, like, give her a chance. And they also have, like, this, like, secret scheme, essentially, where they're just going to see where she goes if they, like, let her sort of loose. And Mm -hmm. I felt like that that aligned with what we had previously gotten from Akatar characters. What did Mm -hmm. you think? I agree. I think at first I was sort of shocked that she was, like, being interrogated. And I had to remind myself that they don't know who she is. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, I know who she is and that she didn't end up in that world on purpose. But to them, I was like, I kind of wish I had, like, Nesta's POV or something because, mm-hmm. like, I want to know what she was thinking as this random fae girl just, like, shows up and they don't know where she's from and she says she's from another world. And, yeah. So, so I was, I was like, sort of shocked at first. I was like, oh, my gosh, we're, like, in the dungeon? Like, in the, um, what do you call it? The the uh, Hewn City? Yeah. I was like, man, I wanted to, like, be in the townhouse. But then I was like, oh, that makes sense that they, like, wouldn't have this random alien girl, like, just be welcomed into their homes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think it, I think it made a lot of sense. I will say I was also disappointed that we got honestly so little of the Akatar world and characters I did feel yeah. like SJM maybe teased us a bit and then did not really deliver on said tease yeah. um because like I enjoyed the the Nesta content I enjoyed and I saw this somewhere else where they were like wow can't believe Azriel talks more in like <laughs> This, like, 100 pages of House of Flame of Shadows than he has for the entirety of the Akatar like, series, which I thought was funny. <laughs> That's so true. And so I liked the two of them. I liked seeing their dynamic a lot. I love the idea of them being bros, like Nesta and Asriel. Chef's yeah, kiss. I did love that. But, like... We never saw Feyre. We never saw Resan. I mean, we saw Resan, but, like, barely... We barely saw Cassian, and I just was like, I don't know. Bryce is such a bitch when she's there <laughs> that I'm like... I know. I was like, okay, but, like, she needs to see that... She's, like, got this big chip on her shoulder throughout the entire book, entire series, about how all Fae are evil. Uh-huh. And she sort of lumps them in with that, where she's like, oh, well, they're full Fae, so they... They're evil, too. And I was like, okay, but you mm-hmm. haven't seen any of their world, which is objectively way better than your world. And mm-hmm. I was sad that we never got to see that. I think I went into it thinking, oh, they're going to be allies. Mm-hmm. And they weren't. Because yeah. Bryce was a dick. And yeah. We can get into that in a second, but I think that was a disappointment for me that it wasn't like them coming together to fight an evil. It was them like being very suspicious and like distrustworthy, untrustworthy of each, towards each other. Yes, I yes, I think you put into words what I was sort of trying to get at of like why it was sort of disappointing the way they were interacting because they were very mistrustful of each other from both ends. And like, we know these characters and love them because we've read their respective series. And so we're like, like I know Bryce and Nesta could be friends, 
Right. So I'm just like, be friends. And we get a couple <laughs> of fun moments, like when Bryce shows them her phone and Nesta's like, oh my gosh, like, this plays music? Like, you have a thousand songs on here? That's crazy. <laughs> and so that was fun. I wanted to see more stuff like that, mm-hmm. where, like, we, like, the Akatar people being mind blown by phones and stuff is just, like, kind of silly and fun. And I, I think it was fun that we got a little bit of it, but we got so little because they were ultimately so mistrustful of each other. And honestly, for good reason, because then Bryce ends up stabbing everyone in the back. The way she fucks them over is unreal to me. When she releases whatever her name is from that coffin, I was like, I mean, it obviously ended up fine. They killed her, whatever. But in that moment, I was like, holy shit, did you just damn this entire other world because you like wanted to sate your own curiosity like I I for somebody who knows how bad the Asteri are and how much damage they've done to her world to like Mm -hmm. willingly unleash that on another world was like so insane and so atrocious to me (laughs) that I was just like I was shocked when that happened. I was appalled, frankly. Yeah, I was too. Because I th- I thought for sure this lady was going to like want to be let out of her coffin and they just weren't going to let her. Because I, like you said, I thought they were going to be allies. And so I thought Bryce and Nesta and Azriel would all agree that we should not let this scary, scary bitch out of her coffin. And then Bryce just, she just goes completely rogue. Yeah, And I, I don't understand why she did that. It just seemed so weird. And maybe this is like a complaint about Bryce as a whole in this book is mm-hmm. that her character was just so unclear to me because she kept doing these crazy things that I didn't feel like she would do. Yeah, she's really interestingly selfish and self-righteous throughout this entire book yes self-righteous that is a good word we get a lot of moments where the other characters once she's like back in her world where the other characters are pushing back on her and being like hey you maybe do have a responsibility to the fae like you you are the fae queen technically now and like hunt being like hey i have this really severe trauma of like back-to-back failed uprisings and being tortured and like maybe we need to slow our roll and like I'm having trouble committing to this Mm -hmm. like full-on another uprising and she just is like giving a big fuck you to all of them at all like the entire book and it's really strange because in previous books we're sort of we get to know her as like, yes, she's initially, she's like a party girl, but then you realize, oh, there's a lot more happening there. And like, she wants to fight against injustice really bad. And that's like her driving force is Mm -hmm. like a fighting injustice and b the people that she cares about. So for her to sort of turn around and be pretty callous towards the people she cares about and like not really take counsel from anyone else like it's like Bryce's Mm -hmm. way or the highway is really like jarring and it's unexpected I think especially the way she treats Hunt for me was really off-putting because she's so flippant about his 
like concerns, which I think are absolutely valid, particularly in the context of the fact that he was like tortured like three hours ago, you know, <laughs> I was like, dude, I give know. him a second. I know. I know. Well, I remember a complaint that we had about House of Sky and Breath was that Hunt sort of like loses his autonomy and and becomes not a clear character because he's just following Bryce around. Mm -hmm. He just like completely we were like, it seems weird that he would like disregard his trauma and follow her into the Asteris palace when like, you know, he's been part of a failed uprising. And so in this book, I was enjoying that Hunt was like actually his own character mm-hmm. and was like, no, Bryce, like I don't want to do this because I'm I'm wrestling with my own trauma. I just got out of the dungeons where I've had nightmares of going back there for years and years and all this stuff. And Bryce, it, it was just, it seemed like it was an opportunity to like have some understanding between mm-hmm. them um, and, and develop their relationship. I am not convinced of their relationship. The mm-hmm. way that Bryce treated him in this book just was not, it was so different from the way that, she was to him in house of god i can't remember the name of these books house of earth and blood in crescent city one Mm -hmm. like i really enjoyed their relationship in that book because of how slowly they sort of come together and learn about each other's trauma and empathize and hold each other Mm -hmm. and they don't she doesn't do that to him in this book literally at all yeah no she doesn't and i think even when she interacts with Rune, when she interacts with her parents, there's this sort of like real disconnect between all of them where that affection just doesn't feel like it's there as much. Like when she yeah. tricks her parents into going, like sending them as collateral to the other world. Bro, that was crazy. I was like, yo, what? Like that that's fucked up and she also leaves her like brother i was like okay (laughs) fuck him am i right but like yeah it's that and then she has very few sentimental moments with rune versus in the Uh previous books you like sort of see this building of their or repairing of their relationship and some of their scenes together in um house of sky and breath are my favorite scenes in that book because you do really get to see their like affection towards each other as siblings and like that relationship actually is really wholesome in that book and then you don't get any of it really in this one and it's just like she's so focused on the mission and so focused on taking down the Asteri that she is really not emotionally connecting to anyone Mm -hmm. and it's weird and it's off-putting And it leads her to be, frankly, like, pretty bitchy. Yeah. No, I agree. She's fully just a bitch in this book. I have very little um, connection to her Mm -hmm. as the main character, which is unfortunate because in most of SJM's writing, my connection to the female main character is, like, what makes the journey so fun and what Mm -hmm. makes the story so good. Speaking of – this is making me think – Bryce did not have one single mention of dancing in this one. And the the art, you know, the mm-hmm. how every SJM female main character has, like, an artistic passion. Mm-hmm. The fact that that wasn't mentioned even at all is strange. It's almost like Bryce, like, she forgot who Bryce was as a character mm-hmm. SJM did. Because 
I, I just felt like the Bryce that we were, we came to know in the first two Crescent City books was not present in this book. Agreed. And I hated that. It made yeah. me mad. Every time I was reading from her POV, I was like, stop trying to be the main character. I, I don't know. like you. I know. <laughs> I, yeah. It was just, I was like, stop giving this girl more power. Like, she doesn't I need know. it. She's like, kind of sucks. Oh, that's the other annoying thing is because she's like such extra special starborn. Oh my gosh. Every time they did that, I was like, this is cringe. Like, it wouldn't be cringe if she wasn't being so bitchy, but because she is being bitchy, it was like, this is giving me the ick. Right. Like, if we're going to make a main character be super extra mega special, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> you got to make them likable. <laughs> yeah. And she was not. <laughs> she wasn't. So it just pissed me off that she, like, had all this power all the time. And why did she have to free that Asteri under the mountain in the Akatar world and then just, like, peace out? I, I mean, good thing they were able to kill that Asteri. I know. Well, and I was about to be so pissed if that was how SJM was going to set up the next Akatar book was oh, like Bryce freeing that lady and then being like, bye, your problem now. I was like, this is really going to tick me off. Thankfully, that's not how it went. But yeah, thank God. And I was like so pissed because she took Truth Teller and I was like, that's Adriel's. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> poor guy. He loves that little stabby thing. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so sad. No, I I was too. I was offended on his behalf. Mm-hmm. And I just loved him in this book. I loved him <laughs> and Nesta scheming together. I loved him just like mistrustfully looking on with narrowed eyes as Bryce and Nesta were interacting. Also, what did you think of the the world's largest info dump that happened when when they like got shown basically a movie of the oh, last 15,000 years. That was, you know how earlier you were like, SJM's not a good writer, she's a good entertainer? That's one of the best examples of like bad writing, I think. Because I mm-hmm. like, I feel like I've read info dumps before, and like sometimes it's like a necessary evil. But for a literal, like, 20-page info dump that was just me reading a history book of a world that doesn't exist in the last book of the series, mm-hmm. it's a hard no from me. Like, I get that we were trying to do, like, a whole reveal thing, but frankly, wasn't necessary. By the time we reached the end of the book, I was like, we didn't need to know that. We just no. needed to know that the swords, like, had to be well, even that didn't necessarily apply. Like, the swords only killed one Asteri. Not that, not that important. I know. But, like... Oh, my gosh, that's so true. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, they were... All that buildup for the swords to only kill one of the Asteri. Exactly. And it's, like, I didn't need to know all of this backstory about how Thea was, like, an awful person and, like... I can't even remember their names. There was like no, sudden- because it was still like sort of unclear because that story was so irrelevant. It's like oh. all these names, Thea and Pelias and Selene and all these people. I was like, I cannot keep all these names straight. It was all given to us so fast. Why are we still world building in book three? Please, God, let it stop. 
why are we still world building workbook three? And why is, because the thing is, it's not only were we world building at that point when she's in the Akatar universe, but then we like continue to do these world building moments throughout the entire book and it's just not necessary. Like I don't need to world build with the Autumn King. I don't need to world build in Avalon or whatever it's called. Like mm-hmm. it just was not necessary for the plot to move forward. Mm-hmm. And it took so much time and so much energy that it was like, it like got boring. Yeah. No, I think sort of what I was saying earlier, I think SJM got really lost in the sauce building this multiverse. And it's like, we didn't need to know any of that. What I did find interesting was that the the mountain, the prison used to be the dusk court. Like that used to be an additional mm-hmm. court. I thought that was interesting, especially because that was a theory that a lot of people had. Um, and so it was fun to see that get confirmed. But like, we aside from you know a few base little facts like that we didn't need to know the whole rest of the story and it was so annoying that bryce kept interjecting with like fuck you and oh these people are terrible like she kept interjecting and i was like i don't need to hear you say fuck you every time this lady who can't hear you because she's a hologram i know so annoying i wish it had just like cut to a POV of someone 15,000 years ago. Yes, that would have made a lot more sense, frankly, because honestly, they also don't really ever explain like this hologram magic that's taking place and like there's I magic the stored there and it's like, okay, I guess, like I can suspend disbelief, but you're right. It's like there's so many unnecessary complications, so many unnecessary explanations that don't need to be there that create more it's just like stuff that you have to slog through to like get to Uh the important bits Uh and the things that it does add are confusing and further complicate the world in an unnecessary way and so it just was like the whole time I was like what is happening yeah but I gotta say that that whole world building chapter was still more interesting than Therian or Ethan's POV. Oh my god. <laughs> Listen. Okay, before we get into them, let's hop over to Hunt because like while Bryce is just wandering around these caves listening to this hologram, Hunt is like being literally tortured um within an inch of his life. Within literally. an inch of his life mm-hmm. and Hunt throughout this book gets more of like a voice and like more of a tangible character beyond Bryce I think this is maybe his most vulnerable book like I feel Mm -hmm. like his character is pretty emotive in a way in like his POVs in a way that we Mm -hmm. haven't previously gotten And so I actually didn't – it's, like, so funny because in previous books, I was like, ugh, get me out of Hunt's POV. Because especially in Sky and Breath, his POV was very sexual. Like, to the point where I was like, yo, somebody just got murdered. Like, stop talking about your balls. Like, that's not not what I need (laughs) right now. And then in this book, it was, like, it was totally different, far less – sex in general in this book Mm -hmm. which was appreciated by me 
Um, and his POV, I think, was much more introspective and emotive. And I think he was just really thinking about the world and what was happening in a way that Bryce just wasn't. Like, Bryce was so single-minded whenever we were in her POV that it was annoying versus Hunt's had a lot more complexity. So I actually really enjoyed reading his POV in this book, which I was surprised by because I didn't usually like him in the previous books. No, same. This was the book where he was most clear to me as Mm -hmm. like his own character. And so I appreciated getting insight into how he was feeling and what he was thinking. And everything was believable to me, except for when he would think about like, oh, I just think about my future with Bryce and like how happy we would be. That would annoy me simply because I didn't feel a connection between them in these books. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, why do you love her? She's literally the worst. Um, But besides that, I appreciated that we saw him like reckoning with his trauma and, and, you know, like sort of just having to muscle through all this torture Mm -hmm. and like the despair he felt when, when, how do you say that Asteri guy's name? Rigulus? Rigulus? I call him Rigellus, which I don't know that that's right. <laughs> I, I don't know how to... I would love to like hear how the audiobook says it, because I straight up don't know. I called him Rigulus, but um, I feel like that sounds I don't know why that's the stupid. funniest name I've ever heard. <laughs> like, it's Riggle? Like, I'm wriggling? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever that that man's name is, um, when he was like telling Hunt, oh, I'm going to kill one of your buddies mm-hmm. unless you give me this information, feeling that despair from Hunt, um, like knowing that they were, he felt this connection with Rune and Baxian, it was nice. And mm-hmm. so it was, it was interesting that we got that out of Hunt and I appreciated that like we had that criticism of Crescent City too and then SJM turned it around in this book. But I just, do you feel like his character arc got resolved in any way? No, no. And not only did it not get resolved, but it got more uh, muddy. Like, it, we get this whole thing. We've had, there's like been little snippets in the previous books of references to Hunt's mother. And there's like some trauma related to that. And he doesn't know who his dad is. And he doesn't know like where his powers came from there's like little nuggets of that in the previous book and then this book in like a throwaway chapter is like oh hunt you are somehow a prince of hell not by not through any kind of sexual contact but through a different type of mysterious magical contact that's never (laughs) clarified and it and then he like has like 0.2 seconds where he's like what the fuck and then Bryce is like let's not talk about that we need to focus in on this battle and like it just is never um really closed again like it's it's never approached in any kind of closure or resolution like we just it continues to be confusing and we don't really know what that means for him except for the fact that he can free himself from his halo thing Mm -hmm. other than that does not appear to be relevant um i know that was so strange to me because 
I really, okay, I really did not, I'm not one of, like, the theory girls, you know? I, mm-hmm. The only uh, theorizing I did was listening to the Flights of Fantasy episodes about the Crescent City theories and being like, oh, interesting. But I feel like what some of the theories people had is that Hunt was somehow descended from this ancient god Thur, because that, that's mm. a god that gets mentioned a couple of times. And, I mean, Thur sounds like Thor, which is a god of lightning. And so everyone was kind of thinking, like, okay, Hunt is, like, some sort of descendant of this god. And and so to find out that he wasn't, it just seemed really strange that we mm-hmm. had all these mentions of this god named Thur. And, and all the, you know, it just felt like all these little seeds were planted for no reason. And then it just also came out of nowhere and was like, why didn't Adis tell him that earlier? Like, why couldn't we have told Hunt this two books ago? Right. Like, this man's been alive for 500 years. Yeah. Like, there's been, like, a lot of opportunities to address this. And it's also confusing because it were, like, supposed to understand that the Thunderbirds were developed. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. Specifically to be, like, a compliment to Bryce, like, whenever the heir of Starborn, like, comes again. Like, that's why the Thunderbirds are there. Uh And the Asteri know that to some extent which is why the thunderbirds are hunted to extinction so then Uh they try with hunt to like provide a similar type of power but the asteri aren't suspicious of that they don't kill him i don't know the whole thing was so so confusing we also i remember we had said in or maybe we didn't maybe we said this off mic but we had said at one point what's the difference between the thunderbirds power and hunt's power because it was unclear in Crescent mm-hmm. City too, and so we were like, "What the hell is this?" And so that sort of cleared that up a little bit for me. But now that you're saying this, I'm like, "You're right. Why didn't the Asteri catch on to the fact that Hunt basically has the same power as the Hunt, the Thunderbirds?" So they didn't catch on. Yeah. Maybe because it seems like SJM didn't plan for this and just decided to make this twist in this book. Honestly, that's what it seems like to me. Because I really thought she was planting seeds about him being the son of Thur or something. Yeah, no, I I kind of agree with that assessment because we don't get any indication in any of the previous books or at any point prior to that reveal um, in this book that that is even a possibility that Hell, like there's no connection between him and Hell at all. No. But there is for Bryce. And so it's like, it's it's weird that... We're supposed to buy into this idea that Hell has sort of been scheming this whole time to help create, like, an opposition to the Asteri. And they Mm -hmm. have been present in Bryce's life because they know that she has that potential. But they're Mm -hmm. not present in Hunt's life, even though they created him for that potential. Like, that's weird. That's so weird. I know. Like, why, why is it not coming up until now? Because... They mention it in, I had marked this page, when they're still in the prison, because Apollyon and Adis, like, somehow visit Hunt as shadows when he's in the dungeons. And they're so cryptic. They're like, um, he's asking them where Bryce is. And they're like, we're not going to tell you. Actually, we don't know. And then Hunt is like, then what was the point of all this watching me from the shadows? To ensure that we can continue to rely on you when the time comes. To do what? Hunt ground out. 
what you were born to do, to accomplish the task for which your father brought you into existence, Apollyon said before fading into nothing, leaving Adis standing alone before the prisoners. Shock reared up and hunt. I have no father. Adis's expression was sad as he stepped out of the shadows. You spent too long asking the wrong questions. Huh? Literally, huh? What the hell was that? Like, that was so weird to me that they were being all cryptic about it. I was like, why can't you just tell him? Why couldn't you have told him this 500 years ago when he was doing a... He, he, by the way, he's tried this rebellion thing before. I know. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> like, I just feel like the, like, this book, they just forget completely that Hunt and several of the other angels, like, participated in a rebellion against the Asteri before and it didn't and it like ended atrociously like they just like sweep it under the rug and are like we don't need to talk about that I know it's so weird it's crazy and like we it does not really come up except for Hunt sort of having some trauma and being like resistant to essentially trying again Mm -hmm. but besides that we, uh, I will say, we do have one nice moment, and this is jumping way ahead, um, but the the moment when Shahar, mm-hmm. like, comes to hunt as a mech suit, here's the thing. I couldn't really picture the mech suits. I wasn't trying to. Um, that was really weird, that the whole thing was super strange. But that scene still worked for me when she, like, comes to him, and he, he can feel, like, the... He can feel like her presence. He can tell that it's her. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a nice little moment of sort of closure for him where, because, mm-hmm. you know, she died attempting that first rebellion. So she was able to help him finish out the task that they had set out to do. Mm-hmm. And that was nice. And I just wish we had gotten more of that type of closure and like things from book one coming back around in this book and we just really did not get very like so much of this stuff came out of nowhere and I think that's why it was unsatisfactory yeah I think that's a really good point because it was like every character's storyline in this book sort of started anew like it wasn't building off the previous books it was just like a whole new arc oh my god so true and it was like a whole it was a reset and so Everything was just confusing and cloudy and messy. That's, you're so right. Because Hunt's character was really one of the only ones that felt like it had sort of been building and like it was believable the way he was acting. But everyone else sort of got flattened into one dimensional mm-hmm. characters. SJM just took a hammer and smashed them all. Yes. You are no longer three dimensional. <laughs> except, except for the single character who carried this book on her back. Yes. And it's the only reason that this book was like really redeemable for me. And that is Lydia, who I love and I thought was so interesting. And SJM did a really good job actually of introducing us to her as day and mm-hmm. then carrying her over effectively mm-hmm. into this book as Lydia and I was sort of skeptical going into it of what her motivations were gonna be because it's like such a shift mm-hmm. um, like it's like such a reveal that she's like the 
the inside agent that it's like what could possibly have motivated her to be this deep of a double agent and I think like the whole thing with her sons was really unexpected in the best way and it made sense agreed I think it made a lot of sense I think she was so interesting as a character because you can see that she she is so deep into being a double agent that she's sort of lost her sense of self mm-hmm. and like who she actually is and so I I enjoyed that we got to see her sort of grapple with that once um she finally blows her cover mm-hmm. and once she finally like you know she has a lot to lose and then she loses it all and so then she's like okay now who am I mm-hmm. now that I'm not working for the Asterian I'm not a double agent like what am I doing and and she goes straight to her sons in that moment like when she wakes up and she knows that you know it's over her cover's been blown she goes straight to her sons and I just it was so surprising, but it made so much sense to me mm-hmm. because that's the the reason that she's been doing it this whole time. And yeah, that it was just that this is the kind of character work that SJM is really good at. Mm-hmm. And I wish we saw more of it. Yeah, because I really feel like Lydia was the only one that we saw that kind of like quality character work that made sense. It was logical. There was emotional connection for me as a reader. All of those boxes got checked in her POV, but none of the other POVs were nearly that satisfying. Even Rune honestly fell flat for me in this book, which I was really surprised by because I think he was the the shining light in Sky and Breath where it was like, oh, finally I'm in Rune's POV. Yeah. This is good. But in this book... He wasn't bad. It just was like his his storyline was, oh, I'm following all these other characters. Like he didn't have his own yeah. storyline really. It was like he was a backseat to Lydia or he was a backseat to Bryce. He wasn't ever doing anything just like himself. And so mm-hmm. that was kind of a disappointment because I do think we finally get this realization because we find out in the I've sorry. I've really I've transitioned to Rune. So if you had more, that is okay. Lydia, um, <laughs> I was like, whoa! I really just shifted lanes there and didn't signal. But um, <laughs> we get in the first books, we find out that when he saw the oracle, the oracle told him that he, like he would be the end of the uh-huh. like line or whatever, like the royal line, and we don't know what that means like does that mean he dies does that mean he never has children like where why is he the end and so we see that come to fruition when he kills his father Mm -hmm. but we don't really get any kind of like closure or reckoning beyond that like once again he had a deeply complicated relationship with the autumn king who, like, abused him and wronged him, but yet there's also this element where Rune is a prince and, like, is trying to grapple with what it means to be a prince when he hates the face structure and he hates his father and, like, his mother is trapped by his father and, like, all these different things. And then in this book, it's, like, he has no character work whatsoever. 
Um, yeah. And, like, when he strange. kills his dad, we, like, don't really get any emotion from that. It's like, sick. Autumn King is dead. Yeah. No thoughts. Yeah. No, that whole that whole death was so weird and anticlimactic. Because so anticlimactic. For one, we saw Bryce and the Autumn King sort of interacting, and the Autumn King seemed to express... By the way, do we know his name, the Autumn King? Or is he nameless? Because that's kind of interesting. I, think, I don't know. I only know mm. him as the Autumn King. That, that's very interesting. Um, but he... First of all, I know there were so many theories about him, and so a lot of people were are really disappointed with the fact that he just like died very unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't actually know what the theories were, but I do agree that he seemed to be set up to be something more interesting mm-hmm. because he was like expressing some regret to Bryce about the about just all the decisions he had made that had led him to this point. Um, and he was sort of looking to me like he was shaping up to be a complex character because we know that he tortured Rune as a kid, like he would burn him, mm-hmm. which is really just sick and sadistic. So the fact that he, there was that aspect of him, but then there's also this man who like regrets not being a better father. I was like, whoa, like what's going on here? Like this could be really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then we just did, we just didn't get any, like it was like, oh, no, by the way, he's still just 100% evil and like we're going to kill him. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think we got all these moments earlier in the books as well where it's like, oh, you know, he has this this map of the solar system and he's got all like uh-huh. he's like a real scholar and like a real studier of this like multiverse and then Bryce goes to him presumably because she knows that he has all this information. Then it turns out he doesn't have any information at all. And, like, that seemed like a wasted trip. And, like, you don't ever find out why is he fascinated by it. Why is he, like, how did he even get this information in the first place? Like, what? there's just, like, so many questions around him. And he's such an unclear character that then for him to just show up and be like, ah, oh, yes, I am 100% evil, just as you suspected this whole time, and mm-hmm. I am going to, like, kill you in the most bland, evil way, and then is, like, killed in a very, like, basic, non-interesting way. Mm-hmm. And then they just, like, leave him, like buried under all of that like rock or whatever and he's never mentioned again it's like so bizarre i know that whole thing was so bizarre because also they kill morvin the faking of mm-hmm. i don't know how you're supposed to say it but i called it avalon even though that's not how it's spelled um yeah i called it avalon as well i was like well, that works. like for some reason he's also just like super evil for no reason these villains are just not doing it for me in this book because because why is the autumn king so evil why is now we're being introduced to this morvan guy and he's like also so evil and he's cormac's dad which also justice for cormac i kind of thought he was not actually dead and that he was going to come back and he didn't so he was just dead (laughs) i know he was just dead and like he got mentioned like maybe three times and i was like man r.i.p to what could have been an interesting character 
And so the fact that the Autumn King dies in the same way as Morvan, who's this very one-dimensional villain who we meet, and then like 10 pages later, he dies. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the Autumn King's been built up for three books. And also, like, I see why people have theories about him, because the way he's physically described, he's very similar to Baron from Mm. Akatar. So I was like, oh, maybe they're, like, related. Also, he's called the Autumn King, like, Autumn Court. Hello. It's on the nose. But so why did none of that ever tie back in? Why did we just not address that? Why do why make that connection and just not address it? I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know. I think there's a few um, throughout this book. There are like nods to the multiverse Mm -hmm. without ever like Lydia is a clear nod to the multiverse. Morvan yes. is like the stag king, even though they're like, there are no stags here. Oh, that's right. I and like, about that. There's like all these little nods and they're neither confirmed nor denied. And they're never like fully connected, which I understand because SJM really can't do that without limiting her audience quite a bit because not everybody has read every single book that she's written. And so... Mm-hmm. There's only so much linking that you can make. But I think particularly for the Autumn King, because the link is so clearly to Akatar, which is where Bryce ends up, like you would think that it would be much more... I, ju- I don't know. I just feel like it would have been much more satisfying to actually, like, really point out and put the finger on that linkage and potentially what does it mean if anything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that that's all i gotta say about that (laughs) you have anything else on on rune um no no oh you know what i actually had something um i had marked a page of an interaction between rune and lydia Mm -hmm. that i thought was pretty interesting this was when I think when Rune finds out that Lydia has these children and they're on the depth charger, depth charger. Yeah. And because Rune has been a total dick to her up until this point, he was like so mad when he found out she was a double agent, which I also thought was stupid and like weirdly out of character for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been rude to her and now he's like trying to sort of get back in her good graces. And she says, Lydia said distantly, turning to face him at last. Everything I did was for them, you know. His chest ached. For your kids? She studied her hands, the imposing ruby ring on one of her fingers. I haven't seen them since they were 18 months old. Not even a picture. But she'd known them on sight today. Had known what grade they'd be in. Remembered where the school was on this ship. Had run directly there. He lingered at his doorway. For a heartbeat, he'd allowed himself to look at her face. He asked what happened. What difference does it make? She asked, wary and sharp. I thought you didn't wish to hear my sob story, as you put it. Well, he'd earned that. Look, he said tightly, you can't expect me to learn who you are, what you are, and be immediately cool with it, okay? I'm still processing all this shit. What is there to process? I am who I am. I've done what I've done. The fact that I have children doesn't erase that. All right, she was pissed off. It's almost like you want me to resent you. I want you to listen, she snapped, but you wouldn't. Yet now that I fit some sort of acceptably sad female backstory, you're willing to hear me out. That's bullshit. And I just really appreciated that moment where Mm -hmm. she's like, 
oh, now that I have a sad backstory and I fit like your stereotype of like a a female with, a, you know, like a mother who is just tortured by her love for her children and she can't see them like, oh, now you're you're interested in me. Um, as the reader, I sort of felt called out because I was like, oh, yeah, wait. I also am like more invested in her now that I know this mm. about her. So like I appreciated that she was sort of calling that out and being like, would you still care about me? Like if you didn't know about my children or if that wasn't the case, like, I don't know. I, I liked that moment between them. And I just sort of wish we had gotten more depth with that relationship because I felt like that fight between them got resolved pretty quick. And then after that, they just like have some spicy scenes mm-hmm. and that's really it. And I just wasn't very convinced of their relationship, which is unfortunate because their relationship was the best part of Crescent City too. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point that it just, they get all of their hiccups get resolved really sort of lacklusterly. Like <laughs> even, even the whole thing of her reveal as being a double agent, like, yeah, he, is like pissed at her, but the coming around is like very gradual. They don't really hash anything out. And like even when you get to the end and he shoots her in the leg when she's oh like gosh, going to get that. her kids, which first of all, that fucked up. That was like in the middle of a battle. Like I get that he didn't want her to go down there because it was a trap, but like mm-hmm. also – don't leave her like stranded in the middle of this like super intense battle where anybody could come by and like attack her like don't why would you do that that doesn't make any sense um but like she there's like this moment where she's like i will never forgive you for this and then it's like 50 pages later and she's like if you get them to safety i'll forgive you and i'm like okay but (laughs) there's a conversation to be had about the fact that he like so clearly took her agency away in that moment and we know for a fact that that's a that's an issue she's had with her like previous life as a double agent is she has not had agency and she just has to go where people tell her and her relationship with Pollux was also I think under oh addressed totally underdeveloped yeah and like and like her relationship with Rune also is not doesn't really reflect that uh, not reflect, but her relationship with Rune is not, does not appropriately address how her relationship with Pollux impacts her still. And yeah. so she was so interesting, and I would like to have an entire book that's just her, honestly. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do think that especially when it comes to Rune, things were really rushed and it was like a little like slap job tying up rapidly these loose ends and just like happily ever after now, which I don't think is very accurate. Yeah, I know. It was sort of frustrating to see like a character with so much potential like I don't know. She like got kind of watered down by the end because of mm-hmm. because SJM seemed like she was really grasping at straws to like tie up everyone's storylines. Mm-hmm. And um, Lydia clearly is like that's the the kind of things that she's been through is not trauma that's going to be like resolved and processed in one book. Like I know 
that, that was a lot. It's kind of interesting because minor spoiler alert, but A Court of Silver Flames is just about Nesta dealing with the trauma that she experienced in basically like like one book kind mm-hmm. of. And then we we have Lydia processing her trauma from the last like 200 years mm-hmm. in like a hundred pages or less is oh like my gosh, ki- that's so true kind of strange um and i think i think it's clear that crescent city and akatar are like serving two very different purposes as far as books go like i don't think sjm necessarily intended for them to be the same type of book but mm-hmm. it is a little bit jarring just because we have just come from a court of silver flames and reading that to to this book where the characters get no time to process and are expected to have pushed through all of their issues like this book i will remind you house of flame and shadows the entirety of those 800 pages is one single week oh my gosh that was crazy <laughs> I when she was like a week ago, I was running from the Asteri in like the same hallway. Blah. I was like, a, a week, week ago. Uh, like that doesn't make any sense. She was in the Akatar world for like two seconds. I oh yeah. Do we want to touch on Therian? And yeah. Just we can just touch on. Therian and Ethan are having a mid-off. I don't have much to say about either of them. Listen, the way Therian actively contributes nothing to this group. The only thing he does is make things worse. Like... I know. An objectively bad friend. So selfish. And, like, he... Even the whole thing with his marriage to... What's her name? Oh, I, I don't remember her name. Well, his marriage to somebody. That <laughs> to, it was like Flynn's, Flynn's sister. sister. Like, the way that just, like, fizzles into nothing. Like, you think it's going to be something maybe interesting. And I you're know. Like, hmm, I was so interested. A peculiar dynamic. And then she's like, bye, I'm going to find my ex-boyfriend who's, like, with the Viper Queen. And Therian's like, sick. And that's that on that. I was like, well, what was the point of this? And the way he, like, rolls up to the Viper Queen and, like, he leaves there with, like, a bounty on his head and then he goes to the Depth Charger and leaves there with a bounty on his head from the Ocean Queen and he has a bounty on his head from the River Queen. I was like, bro, just, like, chill out for two seconds and don't piss anyone and off. And he, like, keeps, it's like, swearing his allegiance to these powerful people that he shouldn't be and because he like swore allegiance to the viper queen in order to get away from the river queen Queen, and then he has to escape the viper queen to get under the ocean queen's protection and it's this whole thing and you know what made me so mad was then at the end he confronts the river queen and or like they she confronts him is more like it and her daughter is like pissed at him and he's like you know what like i'll 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 end my my current marriage and and i'll marry you like if that'll make you happy i was like bro you just spent all this time trying to escape 
this situationship thing with the River Queen's daughter, and now you're just letting her walk all over you again? Like, zero character development there. Zero character development. And honestly, I don't even know what his character is. Like, I, I, I don't know what his personality, his vibe, like, his motivations, I think, can just be distilled into impulsive survival. It's, like, not even survival, because he does so many things counterintuitive to his own survival, and just, like, That's hopes for the best. Like, he just wants, he wants his cake and eat it, too, where it's, like, he wants to break all the laws and not deal with any of the repercussions, it's mm-hmm. like, that's not how that works, buddy. Um, I know. Just actively makes everything worse for his friends. Because yes. he, like, is, he's like, oh, I'll just self-sacrifice myself to, to the Viper Queen so that I can be free of the River Queen. Meanwhile, his friends are like, no, dude, like, we need your help. So um, we're going to free you from the Viper Queen. But then that causes all sorts of problems. Because that causes Ethan's, all of Ethan's problems. The fact that Ethan has to, like, have that fight in order to free Therian causes so many problems. And so it was just so frustrating reading Therian's POV because I was like, I do not care. And the way um, Ariadne is just meaningless. I know. Why was she in this book? Why was Why? Why? And it seems like at the end, because their storyline was left unresolved, it seems like SJM, like is planning to write a book about them. And I'm like, I do not want to read a book about Therian and Ariadne. Do not make me read about Therian ever again. Literally. We could take him out and, like, nothing changes. Oh, my God. You know what I, What just occurred to me? These All the books, there's three books so far, and there's four houses. Mm-hmm. And the only house that doesn't have a book is the House of Many Waters. So what Tell if she's me. planning to do a House of Many Waters book that's, like, a semi-spinoff? And just, like, centers around Therian. I bet that's what she's planning to do. I'll kill myself. I'm going to have to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) Fuck me, am I right? And then, of course, we have Ethan, who is, like, the saddest sad boy to ever walk the face of the earth. And normally, you and I love a sad boy. But he's just a, like... He is a useless sad boy. That's the problem. Like, I, the fact that he ends up being alpha, I was like, this man is not equipped to be an alpha. Like, this man can't even alpha himself. Like, what is this? And he only becomes alpha because he's, like, on that juice. Like, he's taken you know Royce and now he can like take on Sabine he's not actually that much more powerful than everyone else because they're all gonna get the cure too and I was like what are you that doesn't make any sense he's also like 10 I don't know how old he is he's probably like 22 or something like that but yeah I know that he was just driving me crazy because I feel like he had potential in this Mm -hmm. series but ever since he was introduced he's been the most pointless character like first in crescent city 2 it was like oh he's been secretly in love with bryce and jealous of connor this whole time so then it was like oh my gosh eye roll and then i guess we just forgot that ever happened and now his biggest thing is that he just like beats himself up over everything that happens with the pack he's like so he like feels this need to like Mm -hmm. free the pack of 
Sabine's rule. But I was like, since when, first of all, can we just appoint a new alpha? Like I, there was such a big deal about these Fendir people uh-huh. that I thought it could only be someone from Sabine's line. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. We can just no like it's like point someone else so we understand that it's been the fendiers because the asteri behind the scenes have been intentionally like mating them to make sure that the strongest wolf was always of that line okay but uh, but beyond that i think it's just whoever is like the strongest wolf i guess okay I don't believe that Ethan's the strongest wolf. Agreed. Agreed. Also, the fact that this, the secret storyline is meaningless. That was so crazy. I was like, what the fuck? Because when she's initially introduced in Sky and Breath, I was like, okay, this is maybe interesting. Feels a little predictable, but interesting, you know, like a, uh-huh. an unexpected twist. And then mm-hmm. when he literally decapitates her, I was like, whoa, didn't whoa. see that coming. Yeah. And then, like, it just is, like, all of these things. He's, like, obsessed with the fact that he's killed her. And it's interesting because he never actually goes on a real grief journey or processes what he's done. It's just him. Like, trying to bring her back to life, trying to, like, get her not a reaper and, like, do all of these things to, like, fix her rather than process the fact that he has, like, all of this guilt that he's killed her. And Mm -hmm. the book ends and he's still, we never get him processing that. No, he stays in the denial stage of grief the whole time. The whole time. Because he's like, she's not really dead, like, we can revive her. Yeah. Which is like a pretty bizarre mental state to be in for so long. I mean, I guess well, that's only surprised a week. me because in Crescent City Two, he they try to contact Connor using necromancy and it doesn't work. So mm-hmm. I was like, why does he have so much faith that necromancy is gonna work? We have no precedent for it working. I know the necromancy thing really came out of left field for me, and like the way it ends. With Hypaxia becoming the under king, even though Second Light is not being harvested anymore. And she's like, I don't know where Secret is. I was like, what yeah. is this? Like, what? she's just running free? Like, I don't. What are all the Reapers doing? What do- are all the Reapers large? doing? I guess. Yeah. They're just loosey goosey. <laughs> such a. That was just such a strange storyline. Like, and all of it was pointless. None of it served the story. No. So no. once again, both Ethan and Therian, I just am like, why were they even in this book? Like, neither of them had interesting character arcs. Neither of them contributed anything to the plot as a whole. So, yeah. Also, I want to say that both Therian and Ethan were, like, tasked with bringing the cure to the battle. And both of them have all of the cures that they've, like, taken with them, like, destroyed except oh for gosh. two or something like that. I was like, y'all had yeah. literally one job in this book, and you fucked it up. <laughs> I was like, seriously? It's so annoying. Speaking of the cure, I just have to touch on the fact that Hypaxia literally needs, like, two minutes. And she's like, I found the cure. I know. Let's All go. they had to do was find out that that poison exists, and then they're like, oh... 
we we cured it i was like what yeah i think that was another one of those things where when you find out the book takes place in the span of a week like okay so hypaxia literally created that antidote in 24 hours like less than like sure jan also the what did you think of the reveal that the there's poison in the water that's been doling all of their powers I thought that was boring. I I don't see, like, honestly, I thought it was fine that they just had less powers than, like, the other universes. Like, I, I did not feel like it was necessary for them to, like, reveal that they, like, have, they secretly could be way more powerful and, like, just as powerful as the characters in Akatar or Throne of Glass, but it's mm-hmm. been suppressed. I was like... That doesn't make, that's like not necessary. And also I'm sort of confused from a first light perspective because they're giving up some of their, like a little bit of their magic whenever they make the drop. Mm-hmm. I was like, wouldn't the Asteri like in theory want more magic? I mean, I know like they're being suppressed so that they're easier to control. But right. Well, and doesn't the suppression make them have to complete the drop in the first place? And so that was like the way, the Asteri's way of like taking their magic, their first Oh, sight. yeah. And like otherwise it's a tithe. Yeah. Okay. But that was confusing. The, the whole thing was so. The whole thing was confusing. Confusing. And they never even like clarify. It's so bizarre to just be like there's a parasite and that's why people don't have as much power it's like okay is the parasite eating the power is the parasite suppressing the power is this parasite alive like is this a biological weapon that they've created like yeah because parasite implies that it's alive yeah which i will say i did see a theory i don't think this will happen because i don't think sham I don't think she'll do it, but I saw somebody be like, oh, like next Akatar is going to be because Bryce like cut herself and bled into the water. Yes. And like now the parasite is in the Akatar universe or whatever. And I was like, that's kind that of interesting, too. but I don't think it'll happen because. I hope not because that would just be annoying. I know. Well, it would, it seems like it would be like an easy fix. Like she just like would. You just need someone to create an antidote, apparently, because it's apparently. A, you're able to create one in 24 hours. As long as you have lightning. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That, oh, yeah. my gosh. Hypaxia, also as a character, was just kind of a disappointment because she seemed so interesting in the first couple books. And then in this one, she just, like, doesn't do much. Mm-mm. Yeah. No character arc at all. I think... By and large, all of the characters that were introduced throughout this series suffered in this book from being just, like, very one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And they, they were all plot devices. That's the thing. Is and they the plot wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... They, it just fizzled in every POV. Yeah. Do we want to um, touch on the ending? Yeah. The most insane in the worst way ending yeah because what was that first of all okay i need to talk about sjm and action sequences Mm -hmm. because sometimes she writes them so well and like my favorite part of this book was lydia breaking them all out of the prison like that whole sequence was so 
fast paced. I was following everything that was happening. I was really rooting for Lydia. I love a scheme. I love a heist. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, oh, yes, like SJM, like we're so back. And then the end of this book in comparison, like what could have been a really epic fight scene turns into the most confusing like muddy thing I've ever heard. Like, okay, Bryce creates a black hole with the swords, question mark, and then she creates a portal and moves that black hole into space. First of all, pretty sure that's not how black holes work. Pretty sure they're a lot larger than that. Second of all, she moves the black hole and then she gets sucked out into space, but space, which is a vacuum, which should like kill you instantly upon entering it doesn't kill her somehow and all the Asteri get sucked into the black hole but she doesn't it was so confusing I was like I can't picture any of this I have no idea what's going on this is not how black holes work yeah yeah no the I it's so so annoying because I was like why, SJM, would you bring space into this? Like, we've already established that the magic in this universe has no rules. Mm-hmm. Do with that what you will. That's the fact of the matter. There are no rules. You can resolve this however you want, SJM. Like, the black hole is not necessary. Like, no. Sending her... Because you're right. It's so confusing. Like, and I was like, okay, wait. I couldn't even figure out what floor they were on. Because, like, at one no. point, like, the, the like, floor falls through. And, like, Hunt is, like, shooting his lightning at something. And I, I was like, what is going on? And they, so they were like, strange. oh, if you destroy the first, like, core, like, it'll destroy everything. And I was like, but why? And it's. It's like confusion. Oh wait, is that is that, that what creates the black hole? That, it's not the swords. It's the first yes. light core. Okay, so that's okay. what creates like the big black hole that she sends into outer space. That's the thing is there's like a portal that's a black hole that's like sucking them in to uh-huh. outer space to be sucked into another black hole. Like they're not just <laughs> in space. There's like a there's like multiple black holes happening and I was like I don't understand why they're being sucked in like what no what's happening there and then once they were sucked in I was like all right that's it and then I was like oh no there's another black hole that they're getting sucked (laughs) into which I I just this is so funny like hearing you explain it because it's just like it makes no sense there's no possible well, the thing is, is it's like, to your point, they get sucked into space and they're all still alive somehow. Like the Asteri, Bryce, they're all still like kicking, right? Yeah. And they're like fighting and shit. And it's only when they get sucked into like the second black hole that they disappear. But in theory, that second black hole is going to pop them out somewhere else in, like, the space-time continuum or something. And, like, it it's not necessarily killing them. Like, it's just sending them somewhere else. Wait, that's such a good point because, because black holes are supposed to, like, flatten you into nothing. Like, you would implode yeah. because it's so much pressure. But 
But if a vacuum, if the vacuum of space does not suck all the moisture out of their bodies and instantly kill them, then who's to say a black hole it can can make them implode? Because they're like these all-powerful beings. So right. I guess apparently because they can survive floating in space with no spacesuit, they... <laughs> They are biologically different than humans. Like, I can't with the science of this. No. It was just not thought through at all. And it was so strange. And I, yeah, what if the Asteria are just like actually, what if the, the black hole, they just go in there and it's like actually just a new world. And they're like, let's, well, let's so, build a world inside this black, well, black so hole. Well, so here's the thing. We already know, and they never address this, but like, we already know that they have conquered other worlds. Like, they have this whole universe map of, like, all these worlds that they've conquered. Mm -hmm. Presumably, they are able to travel from world to world through some kind of mechanism that we are Mm -hmm. not, like, informed of. But I was like, oh, my God, are they traveling through space? Like, is that how they're getting between... What if it's a wormhole and not a black hole? Yeah. Literally. And I was like, did she just... Like, are, now are they, like, all in the Akatar universe or something? I was like, what is oh this? Gosh. That would be quite the plot twist. Surprise! It was actually a wormhole, and we're just going to toss just them into the, the Throne of Glass world now. <laughs> uh, it was Here's the, the thing, though. I don't think that was the intention. I think the intention was for us to imagine that the Asteria are being killed yeah. by this black hole. But, like, because, the, because clearly SJM knows nothing about space or just like changed all the rules of how outer space works none of it none of it tracks no no and i just think about the other asteri that's in the akatar world that they do manage to kill i know by the way how'd they kill her i actually don't remember they they made some like hubbub about how like nesta's power Oh, that's right, because she can kill the unkillable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe that. Which then sort of, like, tracks back where you're like, okay, but she's she can kill the unkillable because of the cauldron, but cauldron made weapons. I forgot to bring this up. Nesta still has power. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. So she didn't give up her power in Akasif? So I guess (laughs) I had the exact same thought, because I guess when they're like, oh... She gave it all up, but, like, the mother, like, gave some of it back to her as, like, a thank you or something like that. And when she does it, it's like, oh, you think it's, like, a little kernel. But in this book, you see that it actually seems pretty robust. Yeah. It seems like nothing has changed. Yeah, it seems like nothing has changed, actually. (laughs) Um, And she, like, can wield the mask without issue. Which uh-huh. also, why can Bryce wield the mask with no issue? Oh, so many questions there. Why did Nesta give her the mask in the first and place? Then, that seems not like something Nesta would do. Oh my god. And then Hunt uses the mask and he's like, oh, that little piece of Bryce that was like deposited in him mid-sexual intercourse <sighs> has like allowed him to wield made things. I was like, it's a hard no from me, fam. <laughs> what did she give him while they were having sex? Like, what does that mean? It's like she gave him, like, a magical STD, and now he can use made <laughs> items. Not a magical STD. 
Oh, I'm not gonna lie to you. I completely skipped their sex scene because I was Same. already fighting for my life to get through this book. That I got to the sex scene and was like, nope. So then when uh when Hunt was like, oh, I'm able to wield the mask because Bryce gave me some magic during sex. I was like, oh damn, maybe I should have read the <laughs> sex scene. Too bad. <laughs> no, I. It was yeah. I don't know why. Because even in the scene, because I read the sex scene briefly, and like even in that scene, I was he. I was like, wait what like she doesn't do it on purpose there doesn't seem to be any like act like they're just having regular sex like there's nothing special happening and oh. so i don't really know what transference of magic like transferred place. from oh i don't like this I it's know. literally like an std that's what i'm saying <laughs> oh uh. Yeah, that was that. Uh, the mask did not need to be part of this, Mm-mm. and like bringing back all the fallen as mech suits. That was a big thumbs down. That made that no fucking sense. No, I was like, and what? I love that you sent me that text, being like, to me, all of them look like Mister Electric from <laughs> Sharkboy and Lava Girl. <laughs> Genuinely, in my mind, when Hunt gets in there, because I was like, there's not even a seat for a person. Like, they're not supposed to be ran by people. So I don't know how That's, Hunt I was fits so in there. They weren't really described to us. So it was like, no. I don't. First, I was picturing them all as like really scary versions of C3PO from Star Wars. And then it said Hunt gets inside them. So then I was like, wait, what is there like mean? A, a cavity in which he could sit? And so then I was picturing them more as like, like droids from Star Wars that people sit in. I was so confused with that whole so thing. Confused. And it was just not necessary. The Shahar thing was fun, which I called out earlier. But besides that, everything else was like... And and also the wings, like the souls inhabit the wings and fly out there. But then they inhabit the mech suits and they just leave the wings on the ground? Question mark? Or do the mech suits have wings? I don't know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, do the mechs... Like, are the wings just like outside of them? Or like... <laughs> I had that made Sam just did a flapping with her hands when she said that. (laughs) It made no fucking sense. And like the battle ends and it's so annoying because they're like the battle ends and you just like find out that this world is in complete chaos now. That these like five people have single handedly just unpended civilization for this entire world. And yeah. they, like, don't have first light anymore, and that's going to run out, and their entire power grids are going to collapse. Yep. And Bryce, without any kind of planning whatsoever, decides to completely unpend the Fey government structure. And somebody asks her about it, and she says something like, we'll create a Senate or something. I don't know. Not my problem. And I was like, Definitely your problem. You Definitely made problem. the problem. You dismantled the structure. Yeah. And they're just like running loose now. And Fe- or excuse me, Bryce and Hunt both have these moments where people are like, so are you going to lead now that you've completely destroyed our government structures? And both of them are like, mm, no, bye. And it's like, <laughs> well, that's not really how this goes. Like, you don't get to lead the revolution and then refuse to take part in like the rebuilding effort i know well that's what made me so mad because bryce seemed for a second there like she was gonna have some sort of character arc where she like 
takes on a leadership position in the end Mm because at first she's like oh shit like i'm the fake queen now and so i was like okay slay like maybe she could like be humbled a little bit by learning how to be a fake queen but then no she just dismantles the whole power structure so then like it was so stupid it was like no character resolution no character growth happening there um and now what are all these people gonna do they don't know leaders and they've they've been led for the last several centuries (laughs) and then on top of that they're like mass producing this cure and they're working with like the shady like technology company from the very first book i was like wait wait what i thought we established that they were like shady as hell and they're like, yeah. well, reluctantly, like, we needed them to create the cure. And I was like, well, that's going to be a fuck up later. And it's like, okay, so there's no government. And now all of the veneer are going to be juiced up as hell because they've got full access to their powers. And the humans continue to be, what, oppressed? I was like, the humans got the short end Dude. of the stick massively in this. No I know, human and I thought resolution. this whole, I thought the whole rebellion was to, like, keep the humans from being oppressed like to make the asteri stop oppressing them i Uh, thought so too but that does not seem to be the case (laughs) like that's why this just fails to me as a conclusion because the conclusions of other series sjm has written without spoilers usually end up in such a way that we know who's going to be leading the people and Mm -hmm. we know you know what the the politics are going to be like because we've dismantled one power structure and we've put another one in place. And in this one, it's literally chaos. It's complete Just chaos. Complete chaos. And they're like, sick. Yeah, they're like, good. We're happily ever after. I'm like, oh my god. Um, I'm <laughs> sure there's gonna be like, like if I were those veneer. I'd be pissed. My power grid's gone down. I can't charge my phone anymore. I didn't feel oppressed by the Asteri. Like, I know most of the Fae didn't really feel oppressed by the Asteri because they didn't know about the parasite. And they, you know, they they had very little contact with the government in general. So it's like, they were just chilling. And now suddenly their lives are completely upended. They're going to be pissed. I feel like there's going to be like Asteri loyalists rebelling and stuff. I don't know. Not me trying to write the next book. (laughs) over here (laughs) i will say one moment that i think we both really loved and appreciated was we do get confirmation so bryce briefly dies wow who could have guessed the main character was going to die and go to some weird place in between death and life and then come back brought back to life a classic a classic sjmism (laughs) spoilers i guess but in that moment, as tacky as it is, we do get, finally, confirmation that there is an afterlife in this world. Yes. And, like, the souls that were in, whatever, the Underking's dominion actually do find rest. Because we sort of are led to believe, oh my gosh, like, Donica's soul has been consumed. Like, the pack's mm-hmm. souls have been poured into this bullet and, like, they are gone and it turns out that there is like an actual real afterlife and they're all there and so honestly donica and the pack get the best closure in this book than any other character yeah because we finally get to know okay their souls are genuinely at rest yes and I that's the one that. point at this book 
that I I shed tears. I cried because Bryce yeah. sees them all and like they wave and it's like so sweet to get that closure of like mm-hmm. they are at rest in the afterlife and like one day Bryce will get to join them. But right now she's going to go back. It's just so crazy how like the pack and Danica and like that storyline is the most probably the strongest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the most it's... emotionally impactful by far. Yeah, which is crazy because it is barely relevant. Like, I wish Bryce had died and Donica had lived. (laughs) Because, well, like, we find out that her and Baxian had this secret relationship and she's, like, doing all this sleuthing into the Asteri and, like, discovering all these things. And it's so fucking interesting. I know. And her and Sophie were, like, kind of becoming homies. Yeah. No, you're so right. I wish this whole book series had been about Danica. (laughs) Would have been sick. She's way more interesting than Bryce. But what do you oh, do? Um, what do you think about Jessica really quick? Oh, my God. A lot God. of people had theories about her and were disappointed. The way, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. We were teased from book one about, like, who is Jessica? Where did she come from? What's the deal with her? And her reveal was interesting. I think it was, like, a little bit unsatisfying that she just – what pissed off Apollyon and he cursed her to live forever until he like finds he like realizes the value of books or something I was like okay well that seems weak sauce but I did think it was like an interesting way to set her up of like she's the only person aside from the Asterian like hell who have witnessed the transformation of Midgard from human dominion all the way through to present time which i think is kind of interesting but yeah she's interesting for 0.2 seconds and then she's like okay i'm i'm giving up my life force dead yeah and i was like well that was underwhelming it was just disappointing for me because she was such a like uh a character who was really like a really hard exterior like she's very mm-hmm. um kind of ruthless in her interactions with people a lot of people are scared of her no one really knows what her motivations are or why she's like this and then to find out that it was all a front that she put on for just like really no reason oh and yeah. she's actually just really passionate about protecting these books which slay um i th- i thought it was interesting that like she was a human who had like a priestess who had rescued all these books from being burned. Like I appreciated that, but the fact that she deep down, her personality is actually just like a softy, like Mm -hmm. just a sweet girl. Who's like, I just like having little animals in my office. I I really thought we were going to find out she had like turned some old enemies into animals. And then she's like, actually just a a human girl who's lived for 15,000 years. First of all, that's a really long time. She should be insane. Yeah. She should that long. Yeah. Um. And then, and then she like sacrifices herself for Bryce after having such a weird relationship with Bryce, where she, where they like, she like kind of grudgingly helps her sometimes, but mm-hmm. they kind of bicker most of the time. And then it turns into this like heartfelt like, I love you and I'll sacrifice myself for you. It just was like disappointing. Made her a little less interesting. Yeah. No. I I agree that it was just, it just like felt flat. Just like most of this book. Just like so, most of this book. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> on that note. On that note. That's such a 
depressing note to end on, but um, there you have it. Is Has your rating changed? No, I think it stays at a 4.5. 4.5. I think I'm going to bring mine down to 4.5. Because we've read other SJM series, um, like, no spoilers, but like Kingdom of Ash and A Court of Wings and Ruin are both better than this book. And mm-hmm. that's saying something because Akawar is still not that good. Agreed. So I just think the fact that this was the worst series conclusion out of the three is really unfortunate. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. Well. Well. (laughs) Do we have anything like, I'm I'm trying to think if I have like any funny scenes I can read to like end us, but. um... Oh, one thing I have to say, um, they literally chewed off rune's hand for <gasps> no reason oh my god for no reason was like, that was crazy fuck? i hated that every time i would read about that part happening i was like please stop reminding me that this happened like i they, don't want to think about they it they never brought it up again it was Th- like like that was crazy his was hand it. just grows back and they're like okay i know cool. i was appalled like i can't <laughs> believe they chew his hand off and then the minute he like tries to get like you like get free, they like walk in, and they're like ah, and they're like haha, sex to suck. And I was like, you're telling me this man just chewed his hand off for no reason? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is disgusting. Yeah, first of all, that was disgusting, and I hate thinking about it. I hate trying to picture it. Hate it. And then it was literally for no reason. <laughs> You know what else was for no reason reading this trilogy, reading all yeah. these books? There it has go. added nothing to my life, except for having fun talking about it on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now I can say I've written, I've read everything SJM has written to this point, which is a yes. satisfying claim to fame. That is a satisfying thing to be able to say. And I can confidently say that Throne of Glass is the best series. So, listener, if you haven't read it, you should. Yep. And with that, (laughs) thanks for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday with a different book review. Um, I won't tell you what it is because I'll make you come back. But we're going to do a little bit of a genre pivot next week because we have been grinding through SJM the past couple months. And we are excited to move on to something else. So, Tune in next week to see what that'll be. Come back every Tuesday. That is when we upload our new episodes. And um, if you subscribe or follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, that will make sure that you don't miss any new episodes. Um, If you would be so kind, we would also love it if you'd leave us a five-star rating and or review on Spotify or Apple. That really helps the podcast and really makes our day when we see new ones coming in. So... Um, thank you to everyone who has done that so far and we would love to hear from you you can keep us up with us on our instagram Uh, we would love to hear what you think of this book and um, you can also get in touch with us via email all that info is in the show notes and with that we'll catch you next time Bye. bye